0: An exotic mask. Next one. Scary face. Scary face. No, I said on the screen, not in your husband. (laughs) (laughs) What do you see? Next one. (laughs) Um, So, these pictures that you have been seeing, we'll come come to these in just a second. But um, the message today is, what do you see? What do you see? Um, I'd like a few volunteers, just before I kick off, to um, open up the Bibles um, in a couple of places. Can I get a volunteer to read out Matthew 5, verse... 8, volunteer Matthew 5 verse 8, Margaret thank you, um, the next one is Matthew 6, 22 and, 22 and 23, thank you Matthew 6, 22 and 23, anybody want to grab that one, Mary's got it, um, I will do those two to start off with, so just as uh, finding those. Um, One of the things at the moment that's confounding a lot of um, psychologists, scientists, uh, people who work with people, is this idea of perception. And it's called the problem of perception. Very fancy name for what it is. And the question is basically this. How is it, and why is it, we see what we see? She you close your eyes a second, humanly, <laughs> please. She you close your eyes a second, and then open your eyes. What do you see? What do you see around you? Nothing. We see nothing. It made no difference to Closing your eyes on her. <laughs> I've got real prayer today, guys. So that. There was a difference, right? When you had your eyes closed, you saw nothing. nothing. Okay, here we go, just making sure. When you opened your eyes, you didn't see nothing, right? (laughs) You see, you saw something. Now the question is what? Let's be really yeah. Be super frank and state the obvious. There's no silly answers here. What did you see? You. Me. Oh thanks. (laughs) What did you see? Lights, music stand. Music stand um, back of people's, head. back in people's heads. <laughs> now, you've given all of those things names. You know what those things are. Why do you not simply see black shape, white shape, white shape with black in it? Funny ginger blob on the back of the head. What is it that the moment we open up our eyes, we're able to attribute to blobs and colours and shapes and forms, names and meaning? How are we able to do that? What is it about us and the way we see things that changes simply a pinkish oval shape with a couple of black dots... A slightly darker pink thing in the middle as a face. Or a particular way that that works out, not just to a face, but to the face of someone who you love or who you know. Because, essentially, when we look around, all we're seeing is colour. All we're seeing are shape and form. What is it that when we see things enables us to attribute names and meanings to things. And this is, this is the issue. Because why is it that you're focusing on the window, the, the light and this? Why is it you're not focusing right into the corner of the room at the middle part of this door? Why is it you're not focusing on a particular nook and cranny of this part of the floorboard? What is it that the moment you open your eyes, you look at certain things without even thinking? you see without even perceiving? Why is it that as humanity, we're able to do this fairly well on a fairly consistent basis? We all see the same set of names and meanings in things. Because where has that come from? Where What is it that's enabling us to see those things? And this is the problem of perception because there could be any number of ways that we can see shape and form and everything else but we see it and attribute meaning. Essentially what we see is more of a sign of what is already inside of us. What we see and perceive is already more of a symbol about what we understand and the makeup of who we are and what's going on in here Than what's actually going on out there. So, can I get the two verses that we're going to read out today? Can I get the Matthew 6 one first, please? Yes. Is that Matthew 22, Yeah, 22 and 23. Cool. And then the Matthew 5 verse, Margaret. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Beautiful. So what do you see? When you open your eyes, what do you see? There's a, um, a phrase um, about people who lose their sight later on in life. Um, not just because of like, old age, but kind of they lose their sight because of maybe a, uh, a medical accident or um, something happens with that eyesight that they lose it. And there's a higher likelihood of getting depression from losing your sight than most other medical incidents or disease or illnesses that you might have. Because what you see matters. I mean, it sounds obvious, right? But what you see makes a difference. Because what you see has meaning. Which is why when people lose their vision, lose their sight, unknowingly or kind of unpreparedly, that's even a word, they start to become more depressed, more anxious, more isolated. And there's a phrase in a, in a paper that I read that I thought was beautiful. and It didn't sound like it sh- should have been in a PhD paper, but it said, blurry vision leads to a blurry brain. So blurry vision leads to a blurry brain. I'm not saying anything about Paul, but a blurry vision, if what we see is blurry, not clear, not defined, then we don't feel defined, clearly defined. Yeah. So what we've picked up in those pictures. Some of you might already see those. You know what those pictures are from? We've seen them on like various kind of like psychological thrillers. Yeah, you get a psychoanalyst who's like on some kind of chair, and there's other guys on like a divan kind of thing, and they kind of you know what do you see, what do you feel? And this is part of something called the War Warshak test, and it was something developed in the '60s to um, basically ascertain people's levels of cognitive um, dissonance or ability, basically to work out not what you can see. Funnily enough, those pictures are meaningless. You knew that already, didn't you? You knew that. But these pictures aren't there to see if you're understanding that they're meaningless because the moment we see things, what do we do? We ascribe meaning to things. So these meaningless shapes become meaningful because of what is happening inside of us. So these psychoanalysts, Rorschach especially, was like, right, let's devise a set of, I think there's like between 12 and 20 official ink blots that they call them, that um, they showed people, and they measured people's responses. You have someone, there's like a whole set of algorithms and things that they do, depending upon your response to these ink blots. And there's like different measures of what they do and how they're done, because your response to the picture doesn't tell you anything about your eyesight. It tells you about your heart. It tells you about what's fe- what you're feeling on the inside. It tells you about what's happening on the inside. One of the key things that this would show up is trauma. Now, if you ask someone, how can an ink blot traumatise you? I don't know. It doesn't make sense. However, because we ascribe meaning to things on the outside as we perceive them... These can become triggers, keys, that unlock trauma. There are things in your life that make no sense, but will trigger trauma. There are things that you go about your day that suddenly, as you're walking through your day, your hands start to clam up, you start to get dry lips, dry mouth. You suddenly become a lot more tense and you don't really know why, but it's changing you for the worse. It's triggered something. You become anxious, you become worried, you become nervous. Could be a room full of people, could be a room full of no people, could be your mother in law, could be being late for something your bank balance things that by themselves are fairly ambiguous but our response to them and the meaning we attribute to the things in our lives doesn't tell us about the thing that's happening in our lives it tells us about what's happening in our hearts there is no reason a room full of people should cause you to be anxious yet many people in this room would be anxious if you were asked to stand up in front of a room full of people So the verse in Matthew five, uh, 6. So of course what, the, what this Rorschach guy was discovering had already been created. Because of course you can't discover what's not there. What he discovered was already created to be the case by God. And this is exactly what it says here. The eye is the lamp of the body. Now, think about this. Now, your science lessons tell you what? That you see things because what's entering into your eyes? Light. Yeah? Different wavelengths and all this kind of stuff. Um, Light bounces off a source of light, the sun, a light, hits the surface. Certain waves bounce off the surface in a different way and enter into your eyes. Yeah? That's not scientific. Does your eye show out light? The answer is no. And that's are Cyclops from X-Men. <laughs> yeah? You do not, your eyes are not a source of light. They receive light. So the moment someone says, well, Christianity is a rubbish science, isn't it? You're thinking, well, they're not wrong. You know, the, the, the eye does not have light coming out of it. Oh, you disprove Christianity. Oh, better chuck it all in now. It's not there to tell you what's scientific. It's there to tell you about what's in the heart. Because the eye, although it receives light, scientifically, it shows up what's in our hearts. It is the lamp of the body. It's the light source of what happens in our hearts. Which is why what you see out there can be neither here nor there. But how you respond to what you see tells you. What is going on in here? Let me give you an example. Um, Many of you in the room have had kids, um, or many of you in the room have worked with kids. Uh, A few of us in the room have had the blessing, punishment of being teachers, and working with kids from other people's families. Now, when you come to a child who maybe you don't know that well, who is having a temper tantrum what do you see? What do you see when you see a kid who's having a temper tantrum? You could see a naughty kid who doesn't know how to obey, doesn't know where the limits are doesn't know where the boundaries are, needs to Pull themselves up and do what I've told them to do. You might see a child who's been traumatized, abused, never had enough care and attention to understand how to function in difficult circumstances. Same situation same objective thing that is happening, but people see it differently. That situation doesn't tell doesn't in itself is no neither here nor there, but it tells you about what's going on inside the people who are seeing it. Yeah? It's not about what we see as much as it's about what we perceive. Yeah? So it says then, if your eyes are healthy, Your whole body will be full of light. Is this talking about the outside world? No, it's talking about your inside life. Your body will be full of light. A source of light. If what you see is good, if what you see is wholesome, another word for healthy, would be um, single-minded or singular-focused. If that is what you see... That tells us that what you have on the inside of you is good, is light, is pure, as it told us in Matthew 5. Yet, if your eyes are unhealthy, if what you see is not good, not helpful, aggressive, regressive, then your whole body will be full of darkness. What you see tells you more about who you are than what is happening. So here's, of course as Christians we believe the ultimate level of healthiness, of health in life, isn't just because you've found the 12 steps to a good life or you've um, completed this course and that course, you've hit that diet, you've hit that salary, you've got that house, whatever else. We believe that health in life comes from only one person and his name is Jesus. That's what we believe. We believe that health comes from Christ. That the good life is only a good life when it has Jesus at the centre of it. When Jesus is the only focus in your life, you'll have a healthy life. So here's the thing. Many of you might be suffering with doubt. Where is Jesus in my life? Where is Jesus in this situation? Now, a few weeks ago, um, I shared a message um, about, uh, about a gospel-shaped life. And we went with the running idea that gospel basically means God blesses before he benefits. So God does something before he ever receives something back. So if I'm looking to see something, and what I'm seeing tells me more about what's going on in my life, then if I'm wanting to see Jesus, where does Jesus need to be? In my life. Jesus needs to be in our hearts first. Yeah? Yeah? Some of you might, be, might have um, friends and family that are thinking, I wish they could come to know Jesus. I wish they could come to know the joy, the happiness, the love that I feel in Jesus. Jesus, why don't you show yourself to these people? You might have had arguments with them, discussions, heated debates, that if God was God, surely he would just jump up down from his throne up there and he'd show us who he really was. But even if he did... The only people that would notice would be the people that already had him in their hearts. There's a story um, a bit later on in Matthew where the Jews and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which are basically um, overpaid religious people, that were kind of saying to um, their people, like, we're waiting for a sign. Show us a sign for where God is and what he's doing. And Jesus says, You've had plenty of signs, now believe. It's not a sign you need, it's sight. It's not a sign in your life on the outside to change, it's a change in your perception, in your heart that you need before you can realise and be ready to accept and believe what you see in your life. As Christians, the Bible tells us that God is active in this world. Do we believe that? Yeah. Yet how many of us forget that on a very, not even just daily, but minute-by-minute basis? Where we go through an aspect of our life where it doesn't seem to be going so positive, and suddenly our whole lives are in disarray. Something bad happens. Something bad happens at work. Someone scolds you for doing something. One of the one of the um, checkout assistants gives you a nasty word because they're overtired. Um, hit your car because of I don't know whatever number of reasons. Your day can turn bad. You know that also takes in like, well, the larger aspects of life as well. You know, illness depression, anxiety, and all all those kind of things. Those things can happen, and we think that God is outside of those things because we cannot see God in those things. Where is God in this situation? But we forget that God is in control. That's not a matter of the situation doesn't have God in it. That's a matter of I need to ask God to change my heart in order that I can see him in that situation. Pretty much all of us agree that God is at work in the world. It's not as if suddenly there's a part of the world that includes your life that he's not there. It's not as if like God, brought the entire world out and said, I don't want that little bit there. That anxiety that's causing that per- you, that issue, I'm not going to control that. That's you. That's your own fault. You sort it out. That's not what God does. God doesn't say, oh, that person made that choice. Oh no, they've messed up my plan. Oh shoot, what am I going to do now? God is in control. The Bible uses the word sovereign, like a king. He has authority over everything. He is in control over everything. Don't ask me how it works. I've got no idea. That's what the Bible tells us. The Bible doesn't tell us things that are scientifically true. The Bible tells us things that are true. So if you want to see God at work in your life, don't ask purely just for miracles and signs and wonders. Ask God to change your heart. Ask God to change your sight. Ask God to change your perception of what you see in the world around you. Um, I'm going to go through two really quick stories of where Jesus changes someone's sight and about how unmiraculous it really seems at times um, first one's in Mark 8 22-26 is that on there? we'll go with that that sounds good so Mark 8 they, Jesus and his disciples came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him So he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. So Jesus at this point is known for his miracles. He is known as a supernatural healer, a teacher with clout. And he's now gone to a village and people are saying, Right, Jesus can heal you, this person who is blind. So he goes up to Jesus and now Jesus takes him out of the village. It's a very dramatic start to what could very well happen. And now at this point he says... When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him. Now, what's the thing about this one, very quickly? Jesus only ever did what he saw the Father doing. Yeah? Jesus only ever worked out of obedience and relationship with the Holy Spirit and God, right? Yeah? So he's gone to a village, and we know that uh, Jesus can heal just by a touch of his clothes, just by a touch of being in his presence, just by a word, doesn't even have to touch him. Jesus can heal, but no, Jesus decides in this moment he's going to have a dramatic entrance, he's going to take this blind man out of the village, somewhere else, away from people, just Jesus, his disciples, and this blind man. And at this point I think, what was God thinking? So Jesus was there, walking him out of the village, and Jesus only did what the Father was doing, what was that conversation like up in heaven at this moment? The Holy Spirit's talking to God, the angels are looking on at God, and God's thinking, and "Like the angels are like, what are you going to do now? You've taken the blind man out of the village. And then God's like, let's make this one to remember. Let's make this one special. And the angels are like, oh, what's going to happen now? Fireworks, fire, brimstone, make the earthquake, what's going to happen? And then God says, Spit on him. Can you imagine imagine what they're going to say? The angel's like, sorry? Spit on him. Yep, that'll make it memorable. (laughs) <laughs> and then God then tells the Holy Spirit and then it has to tell Jesus. Now, if you guys have been around charismatic church for a little while and you know what ministry time looks like, you've got your hands on someone as you're about to pray over their lives, pray for a healing, a deliverance, a restoration, Jesus has taken this blind man out of the village, he's got his hands on his shoulder and Jesus is just waiting there for the word from God to say what he's going to do next and he hears the word spit on him. I mean... That's weird, right? <laughs> yeah? Let's not spiritualize this. This is weird. Yeah? It's not like there's some kind of like spitting cult within inside the whole of like the Judeo kind of early kind of Roman Greek times. This is weird. It's not glamorous. It's not like beautiful and wonderful. I mean, can you imagine Jesus at this point? Here's where spit on him. And Jesus might be thinking, how much phlegm do I? I mean, like, what do I, what do I what do I do at this point? I kind of be more specific. I mean, but I can just imagine. Then I don't know what the. Can you imagine being the man in that situation? And you're there. You're blind, and all you feel is just. Do you wipe your eyes? I mean, it's Jesus. I mean, man does not live by bread alone, but every word from the mouth of God. I mean, does this count? Is this, <laughs> is this food? What am I meant to do with this? Do I wash it off? It's almost, it's almost like yeah, you know, you get those like, you know, um, uh, believers or like the super fans of the Beatles that like kind of when they touched um, Ringo Starr from like the audience or something, they wouldn't wash their hands for weeks and days. It's almost like, what does this guy do? (laughs) He's being spat on by Jesus. Yeah, anyway. Um, And then Jesus says, Do you see anything? So Jesus has heard from God, working in the Spirit that every single person in here has the same access to. And he spits on this man's face. And Jesus, who I'm really hoping at this point, is saying, I really hope this works, God. He says, Do you see anything? And he, the blind man, looked up and said, I see people. Amazing! You see people! They look like trees. Now, I don't know about you. You don't look like a tree. What this blind man sees isn't reality. What this blind man sees is meaning. What this blind man sees isn't Jesus, James, John, Peter. What this blind man sees is people like trees walking around. And when I say meaning... In the Bible, trees have meaning. Trees have significance. So much more to go into. But when God tells Adam and Eve to go and steward, to go and multiply, to go and have dominion over the, over the world, he's using a word like planting. Go and plant. Go and steward. Go and grow the world around you. And it's this word that, like, the growth of God's kingdom is based around a garden and a forest. So, as God's kingdom grows, as God's kingdom advances, more trees are being added to it. More souls are being brought into the kingdom of light. So, when this man who was blind gets spat on by Jesus, he doesn't see reality, but he perceives reality. He doesn't see your face. He didn't see the face of those around him. He didn't see the names. He saw you are a tree. You are something waiting to be planted into the kingdom of God. Into the garden that God is creating. And we know it's a garden because at the beginning, at the end of the Bible, it says there will be the tree of life, which the whole of the new heavens and the new earth are going to be built around. So you might think, Jesus made a mistake here. Not, not enough phlegm. Too much phlegm. But what the man sees first is the meaning of reality. He sees the true picture behind the veil. And I always get this feeling that kind of Jesus has given him a bit of a, a taste of heaven before this man. After doing it a second time, then is brought back down to earth to see what everyone else sees. Sometimes you will be going through things and you just think, "Jesus, this is not the answer I was hoping for." Jesus, this is not the way I would have done it. But Jesus is saying, "No, no, no, no! Don't look at what you see. Perceive." reality. Perceive what is there. I want to give you a taste of heaven before you come crashing down again to reality. And it was just a glimpse. Just a glimpse when he saw, when this blind man saw everyone around him, not as people, not as arms and limbs, but as people waiting and ready to be planted and growing into the kingdom of God. If we had that same picture of people as we walked about our lives. If every time we met someone new, it wasn't, oh, hi, my name's Ralph. I'm this person with this set of characteristics and attributes. We just say, no, you are a tree waiting to be planted. And I'm going to speak life into you. I'm going to speak joy into you. I'm going to speak the kingdom of God and encouragement into your life and see you planted into good soil. Now the next story is in John verse, in John chapter 9. So as he went along, he saw, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, says Jesus. Said Jesus but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him so again we talk about who's in control God's in control, why? because he's God there have been rubbish things in your life that have happened, not because you sinned not because someone else has sinned not because there's been a decision out of control not because there's been a misstep at some point not because there's been a bad motivation not because someone else has made a mess of your life not because of trauma that you've received there have been poor things in your life that have happened why? That the works of God might be displayed in your life. Sometimes we have no idea why these things happen. And we go searching for meaning where there is none. Why did my parents do that to me? Why did my wife do that to me? Why do my kids do that to me? We get bitter because we're trying to find meaning in something that was never meant to have it. So Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't think of it as a sin issue. This is about your perception of what is happening. Again, the trauma that happened, the event that happened, the situation, the circumstance can be viewed in so many different ways. But Jesus is saying, it's not a sin issue. There are those, but this one, this one is just for God's glory. God's going to use this moment right now for his glory, for his good name, for his works. That people might see God in you, through you. Every time you have a bad story in your life, it means that the bad story is the first half of the good story God is still writing in your life. If it's not good, it's not finished. There is meaning to be written in the mystery of your life. It's not by accident that you found yourself here in Lempster. It's not by accident that you found yourself here at this time on a Sunday morning. Lempster might be, the, you know, in the back and the beyond of backwaters of Herefordshire, that only ever finds headlines in city names you can't name. But God knows exactly why you're here. You might be retired. You didn't choose this place. God did. You might have moved for a job. God gave you that job. You might have thought you made a big mistake moving to Leinster. (laughs) Sure. But God's brought you here. So as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world... I and the light of the world. And by light of the world, he's talking about a source of light that people can see and perceive. After saying this, he spit on the ground. This sounds familiar. (sighs) So again, the conversation that I'm imagining God is having at this point is like, okay, we've built up Jesus has done his whole preachy bit and now Jesus is waiting I'm in the light of the world we're going to be doing some works and now it's kind of like waiting on God what do you want me to do the angels and the Holy Spirit are like God what's going to happen now and God's like we need to one up ourselves this time spit with mud we're leveling up the miracles here so he spits on the ground made some mud with the saliva. Again, I don't know how much like, phlegm was in there at this moment. I don't know what he'd eaten beforehand. I don't know what there was around there. Um, and then he puts it on the man's eyes. So again, this man was blind. I don't know if he was thinking he was getting some kind of um, face mask or something, some kind of like clay mud cleansing thing. But um, <laughs> It's not glamorous, is it, guys? No, if you were this blind man and someone just spat on the mud throw it in your face, you're not going to be like, more oh Lord, more Lord, more. That's not, that's not what you're going to be feeling. In that. It's humiliating, isn't it? You might have had mud thrown at you. You might, you might have had dirt thrown at you. You might have had life thrown at you. And it's humiliating. But in the man's humiliation, of course, what did Jesus say? Go. And the most practical thing Jesus could have said was, wash. (laughs) It's not super spiritual, is it, guys? Yeah? He's got a face full of mud, and Jesus says, go and wash. No, it's like, go, wash yourself in that water fountain over there. Yeah? Let's not super spiritualize some of these stories. So this man is now walking through, because where he was in this point, and where the fountain is, In the city of Jerusalem. They aren't close. It's not like kind of Jesus at the edge of the fountain, like, just go and wash yourself in there. Jesus is like, I want you to go to a place that's actually the other side of where we are right now and wash yourself in it. So this this man, although he's blind, covered, well, mud all over his eyes, all over his face, saliva, phlegm, I don't know what he's tasting as he's walking through the city. It's running down his face, he's walking through, being seen by people, people he knows, his family see him, it tells us later on that his family saw him. And he's going through life covered in dirt, but dirt mixed with the blessing of Jesus. Every day you go through life in humiliating, awkward, dirty situations but with the blessing of Jesus in everything you do. So as he walks his way to the fountain, he washes himself and then what happens? He sees. He gets to see, but who did he not see? He doesn't see Jesus. He didn't see Jesus. Later on in the story, someone says, blind man, you were blind and now you're not. Who healed you? And the man just goes, no idea. But what I do know is that I once was blind, but now I see. You once were lost, but now you're found. You once were dead in your sins and your trespasses, but now you are alive by the grace and the blessing and the abundance of God in and over your life. You had an eternal destiny for death and torment and hell that have been transferred into the kingdom of light. Did the man do anything to deserve it? No. Jesus blessed him. He had to work it out in humiliation, fear and trembling. But he washes himself and this is what I find beautiful about this story. He washes himself in the pool of Siloam which means Sent. He washes himself in a place where he is no longer just the recipient of blessing and abundance, but he washes himself in a place where he is now sent. He now has moved from being blind and just waiting on the world to bless him, waiting on his parents to feed him, waiting on the world around him to give him a life. But he has now received a life That he can now go out, sent into the world because of the healing that he has received through the blessing in the dirt that he can go and share his story. Each of you have got a story of being changed, of being blessed, despite all the dirt, all the trauma, all the rubbish in your life. that other people need to hear. That God is counting on you to share those stories. God is counting on you to share that story, that meaning of the mystery where you've changed from one thing to another. Where your eternal destiny has been changed, where your heart has been changed, where once you were a grumpy, moody dad, and now you're gentle caring dad who gets only occasionally angry when things go wrong. Maybe you were anxious, shy, vulnerable, timid, nervous. But now because of the change that Jesus has in you, you have confidence to stand on your own two feet to start a conversation with someone who you don't know. Maybe you had no care in the world about anything in your life. Didn't care about your job, didn't care about your family, didn't care about your friends. Me, myself and I. But God's been working in you to care about the other person. God's encouraged you to get involved with charities, with young people, with old people, with vulnerable people. God has changed your heart. These miracles, although they're signs and they're wonders... In and of themselves, they don't tell you what Jesus is. What we need to do is have our hearts changed. What we need to do is ask God, not for the miracle of what we see, but the miracle that we might perceive what he's got for us. If we want to see Jesus in the world we first must ask Jesus to build his world in us. If you'd like to say to Jesus, build your world in my life. I want to see more of your touch in my heart. Help me to see you at work in my life. Change my heart so that I can see you, Jesus. Jesus. If you'd like to pray that with me, we're going to bow our heads. We're just going to pray right now that the Spirit can just come and change and move in this space. So you can say this um, out loud. Or you can say it, in, say it in, your, in your own head. Jesus, I'm sorry. In the times that I've not seen you in my life, Jesus, I'm sorry for a lack of faith where I've been worried and anxious about what's going on around me. Jesus, I'm sorry for sinning and making mistakes, believing you were not there. And I ask right now, Jesus, for forgiveness. Jesus I ask you for a pure heart that I might see you clearly Jesus I give you my life that every part of it is a space where you can build your kingdom where every space can be another tree planted in my life for your kingdom Help me, Jesus, to share this story, my story, of you working in my life to the world around me. And thank you, Jesus, that no matter how many times I might say this prayer, you are always listening and involved, waiting to shower grace and love on me. Amen.